Thanks, guys. Is that loud? So yeah, when, when Josh asked me if I'd come and speak on the end times, I would, without a doubt said yes, because it's something, I'm not an expert by any means, but I have kind of been a student of Bible prophecy for a while, 10 or 11 years probably, that this is just a real passion and an interest that I have. Because um, you are seeing the Bible coming to life, right? Right in front of us, and it's happening now. And it, it just edifies your faith to see scripture being fulfilled, right? So if, if you pay any attention to what's going on in the world right now, and it's, it's like everything seems like it's just spiraling out of control, right? I, I don't know, you saw just yesterday, ISIS, right, beheaded in other, in other journalists, and they're just, it's out of control what they're doing in Iraq, moving into Syria, um, just the evil that they are and what they represent. And you look at just all that's been going on with Israel and Gaza and Hamas and the rockets. And right now we're in a temporary ceasefire. So this is going on just, they're on a break right now. And it's not going to last for a long time. Um, Russia, are you aware of what's going on with Russia right now? Yeah? So Russia is kind of reasserting their dominance in the world, right? And they're invading Ukraine, and we got the EU and NATO and the US kind of coming to heads with Russia, and there's a lot of tension there. Again, these are all things that, you know, look at what just was going on here in Missouri a couple weeks ago, right? In Ferguson and the race riots and just all the, you know, the deep-seated division, the hatred right, where God says the love of many will grow cold and that people are not gonna treat each other very nicely. These are all very clear signs that Jesus told us would be happening at the end. And it's easy when you start looking at all this stuff to get overwhelmed. Like, what's going on, what's happening? And my goal for tonight, really, is to kind of step back a little bit and go over some basics. What are a few key points, two things that I hope that you can leave tonight with. First, what's the purpose? What's the purpose of the end times? You know, you see movies of the apocalypse or Armageddon and it's always this horrible, horrible thing. Secondly, how can we really be confident that this is actually the, really the end times? So that's what I'm hoping to, that you will take away by the time we leave tonight. Before we start, this is a great scripture out of Proverbs. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. So you and I are the kings and the queens, right? It's God's glory to conceal a matter. And what we'll see as we go through this next couple of weeks, there's a lot of information. There's a lot of things that God has hidden right in plain sight. And it's up to us to really search it out and find out what it means. And it's to our glory and benefit to do that. 25.2. So before we jump into Revelation, I thought tonight we would kind of step back. Let's look at another prophecy that comes out of the book of Daniel. This is in Daniel chapter 9. So this is, this kind of set the story. Israel had been carried off into 
captivity, right? They had ceased to be a nation because um, Nebuchadnezzar came, carried them to Babylon. They're being held captive. Daniel is in his room praying, seeking the Lord, and he gets visited by the angel Gabriel. And if you're, open your Bible, Daniel chapter nine, we're gonna start at verse 24. So Gabriel says to Daniel, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. This right here is, is really like, what, this is the whole point of it all. Here's a prophecy that Angel Gabriel is telling him, look, there's this certain amount of time, 77s, 490 years that are decreed to your people Israel. The purpose of those years is to bring an end once and for all to sin. Sin's gone. No more sin. To seal up vision and prophecy and to bring in everlasting righteousness. That means eternity, right? In perfect righteousness, no more sin, any of that. This promise, this 490 years, the 77s, is prophesied by the angel Gabriel to Daniel concerning Israel and what will come. Now, if we go to the next thing that I want to take away with, this is the purpose, right? We're, the whole point of the end times and the whole point of this is that sin is over, we're into everlasting righteousness. Now, when, when we look at the world today and we ask the question, are we really in the end times? How can we know? How, do, how can you say this time right now is any different than any time in the past thousand years? And the reason is Israel. And so what I'm hoping you leave tonight is understanding why Israel is the key to understanding where we're at right now, what's going to happen coming soon, and why this time right now that we're living in is the end time period versus some time in the past. So here we go. Let's look at this, because this is where it's really going to get a little bit deeper. Um, if we continue in, look at Israel, they were carried off into captivity around 597 BC. They ceased being a nation. They didn't exist as a nation again until May 14th, 1948. This is a direct fulfillment of Isaiah 66, 8. And that scripture reads, who has ever heard of such things? Who has ever seen things like this? Can a country be born, I'm sorry, can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. So in a day, can a country be born in a day? Yes, May 14th, 1948, Israel was reborn. They hadn't existed since 597 BC, and here they are again, back in their land as a nation reborn. The very next day, May 15th, they get attacked. The Arab-Israeli War. So at this point in time, you have Egypt and Jordan and Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, all these different Arab groups that are coming in and wanting to do what they want to do and there's, you know, ISIS wants to do Palestinians, Hamas wants to do is destroy Israel. 
get rid of them. So the very next day, they try to attack them, and Israel wins this decisive victory. They expand their territory. At this point, um, they're still not in control of Jerusalem, but they do occupy a huge swath of land that's covering most of the area of what ancient Israel used to be. Uh, in, it wasn't until 1967, June 5th, that the Six-Day War happened. Now, this is Israel's minding their own business. Honestly, they were minding their own business, and they get attacked with kind of a surprise attack. Uh, and again, Israel wins victory. And at this point in time, they retake Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. This is another direct fulfillment of Zechariah, chapter 8, verse 4 through 8. And I'll read that for you in two. This one's really cool. Um, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the, sit the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with a cane in their hand because of their age. The city's streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. This is what the Lord Almighty says. It may seem marvelous to the remnant of the, of the people at that time, but will it seem marvelous to me, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will save my people from the countries of the east and the west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people, and I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. And so direct fulfillment, since before like 500, 600 BC till 1967, this is fulfilled. And we see actually Jews coming from all around the world, being back in Jerusalem, old men on the streets, kids playing in the streets, all of that which is amazing to me, right? Because this is, this is just really right from the scripture happening. Yeah, it's 1967. I wasn't born yet, but uh, I can still say, I mean, that's relatively recent compared to the whole span of history, right? So that's all well and good, but it still kind of begs the question of what, why does this make Israel the key to end times prophecy? And let's go a little bit further and look closer. So we're going to jump back to uh, Daniel in 9.24. Important thing to notice is that the 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city. This is for Israel and for Jerusalem, okay? Verse 25 continues, Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one comes... The anointed one is the Messiah, which is Jesus. There will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. And after that, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. So we have this prophecy from the decree that goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. You have 69 sets of seven or 483 years. Very clear that there's a 483 year period from the point of this, whatever this decree is, to rebuild Jerusalem. So when did that happen? Well, we know that in 597 or so, the BC, Israel gets carried out to captivity. Jerusalem ends up being destroyed around 586 BC. Um, around 457 BC, if you remember, it, it counts in reverse, so the, it gets smaller as it gets to zero. So 457 is future of 597, right? So four, I don't want to get you confused with the numbers, but <laughs> we have Daniel's prophecy happening 
a while past, okay? He's saying that from this decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah comes, it's 483 years. So in, five, in 457 BC, in 457 BC, or around there, we don't know for sure exactly, but pretty close, we have this guy named Artaxerxes I, and he's in the Bible, he's in Ezra. Ezra sees what's going on in Jerusalem. Artaxerxes actually makes the decree, go rebuild it. Uh, Ezra does that, he starts, heads out. Nehemiah kind of carries the torch with that and kind of finishes the job. But we have this decree, 457 BC, approximate. If you move ahead 483 years, you come around 26 to 27 AD, which would be approximately ballpark of when Jesus was around 30 years old. We think he was probably born around 3 or 4 BC, something like that. These are all, I mean, those are small numbers, so it could be 30 AD if this decree was a little bit off. But the point is, is that we have Jesus showing up as a Messiah, just like it was prophesied right here in Daniel, for his first coming to Israel. Now, there's something that, like this ties into end times prophecy, so please <laughs> bear with me. Like, why are you giving me a history lesson about Israel? Um, it's important to understand these kind of things so that when we start talking about the future stuff, you'll have that base understanding. <clears throat> so here's this prophecy. Let's fast forward to the time of Jesus. We see him show up on the scene, and if we look in the book of Luke, chapter 19, we're going to look at verse 40 and 40, 41 and 42, actually. Luke 19, 41 and 42. So, here we are, 483 years in the future from this decree that was prophesied in Daniel. The Jews at the time knew their Torah, they knew Daniel, they knew these prophecies, uh, but they weren't paying attention. Even though they had a specific number of years that they could have counted and known that the Messiah would be there, they weren't watching. They didn't realize. And this scripture right here is Jesus as he's riding the, the donkey, the triumphal entry, right? Palm, like what we would call Palm Sunday. So let's read that. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And then Luke 19.44, you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And they didn't. And not only that, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law rejected Jesus. And we know that a short time after this, they killed him. They crucified him. Now, when I, re I remember when I, I first read this, something strange happens right after it. This is the very next day. And the first time I read this scripture, it made no sense to me. We just see Jesus crying over Jerusalem. The next day, He's on the road. This is out of Matthew verse 21, or chapter 21, verse 19. So here's Jesus, seeing a fig tree by the road as he's walking along. He goes up to the fig tree. He went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, to the fig tree, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. And I, you know, there's another, when it's, this story is told in one of the other gospels, 
they add a little thing. Well, it wasn't the season for figs. You know, kind of like, it's not the season for figs. Why are, you, why are you cursing the fig tree just because it doesn't have fruit? It's not even time for fruit. This is one of those areas where it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it's our glory to search a matter out and understand what this really means. This is not just Jesus upset that he didn't get a fig. There's something more that's going on here. And having followed exactly, like right in sequence with what we just saw, the prophecy from Daniel, Messiah would come, Messiah comes, they don't recognize him, Jesus curses the fig tree because it doesn't have any fruit. What do you think that means? What is the fig tree? The fig tree is Israel, right? Israel. Israel did not recognize that Messiah was here. They weren't bearing any fruit. They were rejecting him. Jesus curses the fig tree and it withers. He doesn't kill it, but it withers. There's something important that happens right there why it withers too. And this is what I think, and I'm sure a lot of other people think, (laughs) that this represents kind of God shifting focus from Israel as the chosen people to the church, right? Us. And this is why Paul writes in Romans, if you jump to Romans 11, this is from Romans 11.25, Paul's saying, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, that you may not be conceited. Don't get your head all high and haughty about this. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. For if their rejection of the Messiah brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance of the Messiah be but life from the dead? Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles, which is all of us that aren't Jews, to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? So this is like, this is kind of a little hint at once Israel actually recognizes who Jesus is and they're really in the fullness, how much more everyone in the entire world will be blessed. So here we have Israel as a whole, you know, as the leadership in the nation kind of rejecting Jesus. But there was still this remnant group of the Jews, right, that didn't reject him. You have all the disciples who I believe were expecting the Messiah and were watching and were waiting and were very much aware that they were at that 483 time, 483 year period, that any day now, Messiah is going to come. And I think we see that with in the story of the way Jesus called the disciples. And if you look at Andrew, he, he calls Andrew, the first thing Andrew does is he runs and he gets his brother Simon Peter. And he's telling him, we found the Messiah. And then Peter goes, right? It's kind of hard to find something if you're not looking for it. I think they were absolutely looking for it. They were well aware of Daniel. They knew the time they were living in. They recognized that the Messiah was supposed to be here. Here he is. So Jesus had this remnant. If you think of the disciples and they were aware of the time that they lived in, they knew the rest of Daniel's prophecy is, is that, look, there's, 
490 years. There's 70 sevens. We just finished 69 sevens. There's one seven left. At the end of that seven is the end of sin. It's everlasting righteousness. It's all these wonderful things. Like the promise is here. They're so excited. And we see this, I think, in Matthew. If you go to Matthew 24, this is kind of a long group of scripture, so I didn't put it on the screen. I think these guys were thinking it's end times. The Messiah is here. Daniel's prophecy is telling us it's about to be over. So they get Jesus when they're alone on the temple on the Mount of Olives. And we start reading in verse three. As Jesus is sitting there, the disciples came up to him privately and they, they said, Tell us, when when will all this happen, the end of it, right? And what will be the sign of the of your coming and the end of the age? They knew that they were really close. What are the signs? What's going to happen? You know, we're right here. Tell us, Jesus, what's going on? So Jesus answers. He says, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation. Sorry, I lost my place. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over and be persecuted and be put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. If, let's jump just a little bit further down to verse 32 of Matthew 24. So Jesus, after he tells them that then the end will come, then he starts going into all the craziness that happens when the Antichrist is here and all of that. And finishes telling them the end of the whole story. And he comes and he, he gives this little, this little tidbit here in verse 32. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. And we already had the fig tree earlier that he cursed, right? Learn this lesson from this fig tree. As soon as the twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things happening, you know that it is right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Now, I think there's more than just the, the little idea or the concept of, hey, when a tree starts to bloom, you know it's close to summer. I think there's a, something else hidden right here that Jesus is talking about. And we had the first fig tree that immediately followed his rejection by Israel and him cursing it and it being withered. Now, we have Jesus talking about his second coming. And when he returns the second time, we have a fig tree again. However, this time the fig tree isn't withered, it isn't dried up and almost dead, it's got new life. It's got tender twigs and leaves are just beginning to come out, right? So, if we take this as Jesus saying, hey, the fig tree, Israel, when you see its twigs get tender and its leaves begin to come out, when you see Israel reborn, know that the end, this generation surely will not pass 
until all these things are completed. And we know, we just saw Israel from 597 BC until 1948 didn't even exist as a nation anymore. But as of 1948, they do exist. 1948, Israel was reborn. Know that as soon as the fig tree is reborn here, that this generation will not pass. That leads me to the next question of, uh, well, how long is a generation? What is a generation then? If, we're, if you're saying that, if you're saying that Israel being reborn, that the generation that sees that will not pass, I'm curious to know what a generation is. So if you start doing any research into the Bible and you start looking, what, is it, what does the Bible say about a generation of people? You'll find Psalm 90, verse 10. In this one, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Like, I see this and I'm just like, <laughs> I kind of see this as God's little like wink and a nod, like, oh, you're looking for information about a generation, huh? Oh, why are you looking for that? Well, are you thinking maybe because Jesus is talking about generation not passing and we fly away? Why is this tucked in the middle of the Psalms for no reason? I, there is a reason, because we have this length of a generation, 70 or 80 years, right? And then we fly away. So, you know, I look at this and it's like, 70 years, this is kind of basic. I don't want to wait for 80. So if the Bible's telling me right here, a generation is 70 years, let's, just for fun, 1948 plus 70 gives you what? 2018. I'm not, not saying that, I'm just saying it kind of points to 2018. Now, there's something else that, is kind of curious about this Daniel prophecy we've been looking at. If we jump back over to Daniel 25 and 26. <clears throat> this is again talking about the seven sevens and 62 sevens and then the Messiah will come, right? After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death. Now, it was actually Sir Isaac Newton who, he was a brilliant mathematician scientist. He was a Christian, and he was fascinated with Bible prophecy. And he looked at this. He actually wrote a whole book. You can go online and find it, where he kind of was going through his commentary on, on his end times prophecy. But he looked at this, and he said, that's really weird. Why would the angel say, Seven and 62. Why not just say 69? Why would he break it up and put seven and... It makes no sense. What if, what if this is talking about Jesus' first and his second coming, wrapped up, hidden in this prophecy right here? So we look at, you know, after the 62 sevens, you know, we'll be, we'll be put to death. So we can kind of say, okay, yeah, that happened. Jesus came, died on the cross. We'll get rid of the 62. We have a seven sevens left. Can that somehow relate to Jesus' second coming? I don't know. Sir Isaac Newton was alive in the late 1600s and early 1700s. There was no Israel. But he raised a question. And it, a funny thing, <laughs> a funny thing, remember that Israel reclaimed Jerusalem in 1967, right? Well, in 1969, the government of Israel, you know, Jerusalem was in a state of disrepair. It had been through a lot of 
wars and all kinds of crazy stuff. So in 1969, the government mandated that let's rebuild Jerusalem. So they formed a company. This is the actual name of the company that the government of Israel formed. This the company for the reconstruction and development of the Jewish quarter in the old city of Jerusalem, LTD. This is 100% owned by the Ministry of Construction and Housing. 100% government owned. It's the only company ever that was owned 100% by the government. Its sole purpose, sole purpose was to rebuild and restore the old city of Jerusalem. And that happened in 1969. They started work in 1969. It took them 16 years to get it all finished or restored to how that looked before. Now, seven sevens are left, right? Sir Isaac Newton didn't know that, well, maybe he thought someday Israel would be back, back in the land, but look, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, we see that happening in 1969, right? They just did that. They said this restore, rebuild. Seven sevens, that's 49. 1969 plus 49 equals 2018. So you have 2018 kind of pointed to this way. You have 2018 kind of pointed to from the 1948 plus the 70 year generation, which is interesting to me. It's rather interesting. I'm not saying that the rapture is going to happen in 19 or 2018. That's not what I'm saying. What I, what I am saying is that we have this convergence of scripture, prophecies for Israel that we have the benefit of being able to look at in hindsight because these things are historical that already happened. We're looking at scripture and applying scripture to things that already took place and they're pointing us to this specific period of time, right? This period, 2018, that's not too far away. Now, if you finish up with what Daniel was prophesying, okay, because there's still a little bit more to what he had to say. Remember, we've dealt with 69 weeks, but there were 70 weeks. So what about this last week? This is what we'll refer to as Daniel's 70th week. So as we go over the next couple of weeks, if we start talking about the 70th week, or you'll know what that's about, right? After this, hopefully. So let's look at Daniel's 70th week. This is the last verse in chapter 9. This is talking about the Antichrist. So Daniel, Gabriel's telling Daniel this prophecy. He, the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end is decreed, that is decreed, is poured out on him. This is one of the areas where you'll hear a lot of like prophecy teachers say, there's a seven-year peace treaty. Um, you know, I kind of used to go along with that, but it's not necessarily saying that it's a seven-year peace treaty. He's confirming a covenant with many for a period of time of seven years, right? For one to seven. What is that? We don't know exactly what that is, but something that I think is very, very compelling. As I mentioned earlier, we're in a temporary ceasefire right now. Israel and Hamas is right now. And happening right now, this moment, within the past couple days and is probably in process right now, at the United Nations, you have the US and European nations, Britain and Germany, a bunch of the different countries that are part of the Arab League, Saudi Arabia and all of them, who are all 
working together on a draft resolution, which basically would formalize the ceasefire, extend it out, make it more firm. It's not just Israel and Hamas. This is the international community coming in and mandating that you will continue the ceasefire. Um, it will include some concessions that Israel is going to make. They want to solve this problem once and for all, make a, a solution where we have two independent states, where Jerusalem is going to be shared between Palestinians and Israel. They share the capital. You know, what all those details look like. Um, but they're writing this right now. And an interesting thing is I've been researching and looking at some of the little tidbits that are leaking out is that um, Israel very much wanted a long-term deal agreement where they're saying, look, we want, we want guaranteed ceasefire from Hamas for at least 10 years. We don't want to be, we want quiet for quiet. Like, just stop. Don't shoot rockets at us. We'll, we'll ease some of the restrictions on you. But we want this to be like a 10-year thing. Hamas, on the other hand, is not inclined to have a 10-year agreement with Israel. So what we're hearing from, what they're kind of pushing for is like uh, three years maybe, two or three years. And what's coming out of this is, is this kind of this idea of, well, let's compromise. Maybe we do something like five or seven years. And that's happening now. And there's a very good possibility before the end of these next couple of weeks are over that we'll be able to together go through and look at whatever this covenant is, or this resolution that the UN is working on right now. And I'm telling you, if it's, if it's anywhere near, if there's some kind of compromise and they're saying, okay, seven year, this very well could be what's represented here. It doesn't have to be a peace treaty per se, if you've heard that in the past. It's a covenant with many. And it, you know, it's compelling to me that it's, it's the international, the United Nations kind of forcing this on them. Um, so we see all of this happening and, and realizing how all of these things are kind of pointing to this period of time, right? This final seven years, once this last seven is complete, Daniel's prophecy is complete, which means we are changed, right? We're no longer going to be living in the bodies of sin anymore. We're not going to be dealing with sin anymore. We're going to be in everlasting righteousness. We're going to be in eternity. And what is coming very soon, and we'll get into a lot more in the next couple of weeks, uh, you see like so many pieces of the puzzle being put together, and it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing, and it's exciting to know that we are so close to seeing these things be fulfilled that literally any day we could be walking down the street, wherever, and hear that trumpet sound, and in an instant, your body is going to be transformed. It's going to be changed. Your, inc your corruptible body will put on incorruptible body. Your physical flesh will change into a spiritual body. You'll still have, You'll still have a body. You're not going to be a ghost that floats around. You're going to have substance, right? We're going to be like how Jesus' body was when he, when he showed back up. He could eat food. People could touch him, right? He could walk through walls and fly. He could appear and disappear and be all over the place. You know, he could know people's thoughts and all this kind of stuff. 
But we're going to be like Jesus. We're going to be transformed and changed like him. We're living in a period of time when we finally see this whole story of human history from the time of Adam and Eve until now being complete. And one last thing, and then we'll kind of open it up if you want to do any questions. But I think it's kind of cool. If you look at the book of Matthew, and it goes through the genealogy of Jesus, right? And it, all the names of who was in his line. And you go into the Old Testament, and you look at numbers or whatnot, you can track back all these people, how long this person lived when he had that son, and da-da-da-da. So we can trace and kind of know that from Adam to Jesus is about 4,000 years. And it's the year 2000, whatever now, right? So you got 6,000 years. If you remember from Sunday, Pastor Josh was talking about the scripture, a day with the Lord is like a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is like a day. So we have, if we apply that principle to this, the time that we're living in now, it's 6,000 years since Adam. 1,000 years is like a day, right? So 6,000 would be six days. And then you take a look at creation. How, how many days did it take God to create the earth, right? Or six days of creation. What did he do on the seventh day? He rested. So if we're at 6,000 years right now, what happens when Jesus comes back physically to earth? Do you guys know what happens? It's the millennial reign of Christ. Jesus is alive on the earth. Regular human beings are alive too. And he's there for a 1,000 years in Jerusalem before the end happens, okay? So we have this picture in creation at the beginning in Genesis, six days of creation, one day of rest. Now here we are 6,000 years later, right? The promise is that Jesus comes back and has 1,000-year reign on earth before everything is finished. That's a day. So we're, we're right there at the point where it looks like this whole seven-day creation week, this whole age, this period of time that we live in, this physical reality is complete, coming to a close, right? And that, to me, is pretty exciting. I, I get blown away by it. So that's kind of where I would stop tonight. I know I didn't touch Revelation, so <laughs> and there's, it was important to me to kind of get a foundation, and I don't think it's possible to overstate the importance of the nation of Israel and for you to understand that God had a purpose with Israel, they're special to him, but the church does not replace Israel. Some people think that the church inherits all of Israel's promises and Israel's done. No. God still has a purpose and a plan for Israel. These prophecies are directed towards the people of Israel. We as a church, like I, we read in Romans, we get grafted in, we, we get blessed because of Israel, but there's still a promise for Israel. And for us to be living in a time when they're back in their land, they're back in control of Jerusalem, we're seeing all these things happen. It's, it's incredible. It's amazing. So with that, I will stop talking, and you can ask any questions if you have any. No, the temple, the temple existed when Jesus was there, right? After Jesus, Jesus actually prophesied against the temple, saying, that, well, he said every single stone will be torn down, not one will stay upon another. So that happened in 70 AD. The, the temple was destroyed. Now, the Temple Mount, the Jews are in control of the Temple Mount, but there's the Dome of the Rock, which is an Islamic mosque 
Now, it, it, we'll go into talking about that because there's a whole bunch, any one of these topics you could do a huge lesson on. They're discovering now that where this Dome of the Rock is positioned is kind of in what would be called the outer courts of where the Temple Mount, where the temples should be. And that kind of clears the way for the temple to be rebuilt and still be in the proper location. And there's a group in Israel called the Temple Mount Faithful. These are a group of rabbis and you know, Jews that really care about Messiah and they still are looking for a Messiah. They don't realize that Jesus was the Messiah and Jesus is the Messiah. But they know that they need to have this temple built again. So they've prepared everything. Everything is prepared for what goes inside the temple. The, the, sh the table for the showbread, the candles, all the different instruments that the priests will need, their garments. Like, there's literally, they've got all the blueprints, they've got everything designed. They are ready to go. If they got the okay from the Israeli government to build, they're gone. And actually about two and a half weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, uh, this same group <laughs> did a, uh, like, it's called an Indiegogo fundraiser campaign where they posted online, like, here's our project, help fund the rebuilding of the temple. And they had a cool video and, um, you know, they're actively pooling the resources to be prepared for that moment in time when they're allowed to do it they're off. So everything's good to go there. Which is really cool. Any other questions? So next week I am out of town for work, so Pastor Josh will be talking and he'll be really focusing on the rapture, I think, and going through what that entails and how exciting that will be for all of us. And then um, I'll be back the week after that and we'll get, try to keep part of it kind of what's current, because things are happening so quickly, we'll go over some of the things that are happening right within that period of time, and then we'll get further into Revelation. So I hope tonight you take away, not that the rapture's in 2018, just that the scripture's pointing to this period of time, that we pay attention, Jesus tells us in Matthew 24 over and over again, um, watch, be ready. Jesus wept the first time because people weren't, didn't recognize the time that they were in. We need to know, we need to be aware of the time that we're in. Stay close to the Holy Spirit. Keep your lamp filled with oil, right? And watch. Jesus is telling us to watch. So, that's that. Thank you. Oh. Oh, are you going to ask about the four blood moons? <laughs> <laughs> oh. What I was going to say is there's only four weeks that we're going to be doing this. I, uh, well, <laughs> you know what? I really had a difficult time because my mind swims. Like, I could talk about this, I could talk about that, da, 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 da. I could go into this, this. I, yeah, who knows? You know, if things really start going crazy, maybe. We'll talk to Josh and Pastor Josh and see. <laughs> Do you have something? Four blood moons. Uh, I purposely kind of didn't talk about that only because I don't know that there's necessarily anything wrong with it that whole, I mean, it's, so if you don't, under, if you don't, if you've never heard of the four blood moons, what, I don't even know what time it is, maybe a little bit of time. So Israel, we could do a whole lesson on this too, they have a series of holy days, right? A series of feasts, so to speak, and you know a couple, we know Passover, right, because that's when Jesus um, 
was crucified, right? We know, um, help me out here. We know, what's after Passover? Pentecost. Wait, no. Yeah, the, the wave. Um, there's Rosh Hashanah, which is a piece of trumpets, which is coming up now. There's certain of these, and this is where I'm, I'm kind of like, I need to get them in order because I, I get them mixed up. I was not raised Jewish. Sakat. There's one, anyway, the point being there are some key feasts, and each of these feasts have a very specific meaning to them. And we could actually look at this because they kind of tell the whole story of Jesus from him coming, the Passover lamb, raised from the dead. The Feast of Trumpets is this weird festival that's all about blowing trumpets and you don't know when it starts. You're not sure exactly when it's going to start because of the, it's based on when you first see the moon. And then you have um, like the Day of Atonement and then you have Tabernacles, which Tabernacles is a feast that represents God dwelling with the people. And, you know, we see this pattern of Jesus fulfilling each of the other feast days and what they mean. He, the last one being fulfilled was Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and the church was created. The next one is Rosh Hashanah, um, the Feast of Trumpets, which people speculate could represent the rapture, potentially. Interesting it is this month, is the 26th, 24th or the 26th of this month, September, is Rosh Hashanah. So there's a lot of people that will be watching that. But going to the blood moons, these moons, there's these patterns that have happened where a full moon, there's a lunar eclipse, so it turns red, and it happens exactly on the feast day, the Jewish feast day. And it's, it's I think it's Passover, and which one is it? It's, we had the Passover was on... Um, yeah, it was Passover... of October, and that's when the next one is, right? Yeah. So, and then it happens again next year in 2015. Eclipse on March 20th in 2015. Then there's another um, blood moon on uh, April 4th. Which is? Which is uh, Passover. Passover. And then it, again. It happens, yeah, 2014, two, two in 2014, two in 2015. Why they make a big deal of this is because, first, it's kind of interesting that these are falling exactly on these Jewish feast days because it's not every, every time the moon appears is it going to be a feast day, let alone that it's an eclipse and it makes it a blood red moon. When this guy discovered it, this guy, his name is Mark Blitz, he, he was looking at some software from NASA, which any of you can go and download, and you can run it forward and back because the way planet orbits work, it's all very mathematical, so you can go to any year and it's gonna be able to track where all the planets are in orbit. Um, he looked back, there was a, the same kind of four blood moons that happened in 1947 and 1948. And what happened in 1948? Israel became a nation. The next time it happened, can you guess what year that might have been? 1967, 68, when Israel recaptured Jerusalem. It happens this 2014, 2015, and then it doesn't happen again for something like five or 600 years into the future. So they look at it as, there's scripture, there's gonna be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. The scripture is very clear that the sign, those are for signs and for understanding seasons. And 
you look at that and it's kind of just another thing to add to the pile of, hey, these kind of things were significant in 1948, 1967, now. And you put that on top of the pile with everything else we just talked about, pointing to now in 2018, it's, it's interesting to say the least. <laughs> you know, people, they say that it's typically a harbinger of war and that happened, when was it? April, right? Yeah, this year was May. May? It was April. April of this year. And then when did the cut? October 8th. So it happened in April. In June, Israel was at war again with Hamas. So, yeah, it, it, the blood moons are kind of an interesting thing to consider for sure. But it's not in the Bible. Nowhere, there's nothing in the Bible that says watch for these four blood moons, none of that. So I didn't really want to touch that so much. But there we are. We did. <laughs> Anything else? Well, thank you guys. You know, a lot of times I feel like I just talk, 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 talk. So I will end now. But um, I'm really excited over the next couple of weeks to, to see as we get into more of the events that are actually unfolding right now. And just hopefully light a fire inside all of you to realize how close we really are. So with that... Thank you. Yeah, I don't see Pastor Josh. He disappeared. Oh, is he teaching? An assignment. What do I want you to read? Well, you know what? We, if you haven't read Revelation, or if it's been a long time since you've read Revelation, read it. That would be cool. You do the audio thing before you're going to bed at night. Just kind of. <laughs> well, why don't we go ahead and close in prayer real quick, and then kind of do our Heavenly Father. You know, it's it's so amazing, Lord, that we could have been born at any time in history. Yet, you have allowed us to be alive right now to see your word coming to life right in front of us. And it's so amazing, Lord, that, that we get to be here to see this all unfold. And God, we do, we do pray, Lord, that you would keep us close and that you would help us to be in a walk that really is just marked by a close friendship, love, and relationship with you, Lord, so that we would not be caught unaware. Lord, that we would be so filled with your Holy Spirit God, that in these times when people are looking at the world and they're seeing chaos everywhere, that we can hold out the light of the truth that is from your word, Lord, that you would use us to bring more people into relationship with you as we see that day approach, Lord, that we would be found worthy, Lord, because of what you've done, not because of anything that we've done, that when that day comes, when that trumpet sounds, Lord, that we would be caught up in the air to see you and to meet you face to face, Lord. We, we can't wait for that time to happen. We love you, and we just ask that you would just go with us, give us a revelation of a deeper knowledge of who you are and how much you love us. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Thank you.